Yes, we are. Because some of us might not be here had you not stayed around for 20 years. Some of us might not be set free if somebody hadn't been praying and pushing for 20 years. It's a, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. Not just for him and her and their three children, but for you as a church. To add 20 more years onto your legacy and onto your history, it's a big deal. Maybe the enemy wanted to kill you as a church 20 years ago. But you said, I don't think so. Maybe the enemy wanted to take you out 20 years ago. You said, no, not happening. There's people in this front row dancing the night that wasn't even alive 20 years ago. God saw all that 20 years ago and 30 years ago and 40 years ago. It's a big deal. When you can look around and see there's some people that'll stay by you. There's a church that'll stay true to truth. It's a big deal. We honor them and thank them for their tenacious grasp on committing themselves to the will of God. And um, I give honor to them very highly. And to you as a church, thank you for 20 more years. And yeah. Jesus' name, give honor to Brother Shock. Thank the Lord for him, his friendship. Give honor to Pastor Jackson. I'm going to forgive him for not taking his liberty. My God, we just almost got caught up a few minutes ago. He kept talking, and the brother just standing there with his finger like this, and I'm thinking... That's authority. When you can just stand there with your finger and the place just goes up and smokes, something's going on. I ain't never done that. Mm -mm. Don't you love Brother and Sister Jackson? Oh, yes. Pastor Nichols, what a fine specimen. Don't you just love him and his wife? My God. Yeah. All this staff and men of God, don't you thank the Lord for them and them for their families? These musicians and singers. Don't you thank God for yourself? Come on. Yeah. Well, let's read. For those of you that didn't get your Bible reading in this morning, guess what? <laughs> We're going to do it tonight. Uh, in light of the fact that it is 10 degrees hotter in here than the thermostat is set on and I know this because I have checked it out you know what I love most about summer the last day of it can I get a witness am I the only one I'm entirely too thick for hot weather. I heard you. Well, lose some of that weight. Nah. Just for that, I think I'll keep it. 
Uh, I have at times been much thinner than I currently am, and my heat index didn't change any. And um, these are little frail people. I've got friends that, for the love of God, Brother Nichols, you get the air temperature just like you want it, and then they want to come up with some nonsense about their ankles are cold or something. <laughs> Grown people talking about their ankles cold. And turn the air conditioner up. I won't say... I don't want to name names, Brother Nichols. I'm not saying anything. I just, I'm just saying. <laughs> Since it's so hot and you've been worshiping so vivaciously, you can seat yourself. Everybody thankful for that? Say amen. amen. Uh, uh, let's go to the book of Luke. Chapter number nine, give honor to my wife and three little children. Thank the Lord for them. She is a good woman, and I am blessed to be able to call her my wife, and I mean that. Uh, Luke chapter number nine, did I tell you all what verse? Discernment. Uh, verse number one. Uh, then he called his 12 disciples together. Look at your neighbor and tell them I'm one of them. Oh, say it proudly. I'm, I'm a disciple. I think sometimes we get more worried about making disciples than we are about being one. Oh, we're going to make disciples. Hey, Sparky, why don't you be one for a minute? <laughs> you know, in the kingdom, that little rule you've heard, those who can't do, teach. <laughs> you can teach your face off, but you still got to be a disciple. Okay, now let's try to start over again. Then he called his 12 disciples together. Now I'm going to tell you something about discipleship, one of the characteristics of discipleship. Uh, in the first seven words of this verse, together, a characteristic of discipleship is going to be we are able to be together. Not fighting and squabbling and carrying on church splitting he called his 12 disciples together once they were together he gave them power and authority over how many devils all, all of them and to what Cure. say that word Cure. Cure what Cure. oh that's powerful and he called his disciples together, gave them power and authority over all devils. And he gave them power and authority to cure diseases. Isn't that powerful? And he sent them to preach the kingdom 
of God. Oh, and here's a good one. And to what? Say again. Heal the sick. Well, I'm not the healer. We know, baby. But you could participate if you'd like to. It's not by our might or our power, but his. And he said, I'm going to give you this power, and I want you to go heal the sick. That's what he said right there, Luke verse, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Heal the sick, cure diseases, cast out devils. Uh, verse number 6, and they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and doing what? Where? Where? Doing what? Where? So they went and did what he told them to. Is that what you're saying to me? Verse number 18, 19, and 20. And it came to pass as he was alone. Everybody say alone. We got to be mature enough in the Lord to be alone with him once in a while. Hallelujah came to pass as he was alone doing what? Praying. Moping. Praying. Praying. His disciples were with him. And he asked them saying, whom say the people that I am? They answering said John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others say one of the old prophets is risen again. He said unto them, well, that's all precious, but who do you say that I am? There's always a lot of people clamoring to say who everybody else says he is. But it is stunning to me that he's gathered up with his disciples, multiples, at least 12. He's asking questions. Who do the people say that I am? Oh, some say you're John the Baptist, some say Elias, others say you're one of the old prophets. Okay, but who do you say that I am? And we went from three people notably responding to one. Little old Pete jumped up and said, thou art the Christ. Isn't that amazing? You got to know him well enough to not go along with the masses. You got to know him well enough to know him. Not know about him. But you got to know him. Get your neighbor and ask him, do you know him? My sweet mama's watching right now. and I have teased about this, but mama, I mean it sincerely. There are times that I have called her to talk to her about her and see how she's doing. And I'll be driving or some such, and um, she'll give me, she'll indulge me and humor me for about five minutes. And then after about five minutes of me finding out how she's doing and us making small talk, she's pretty quickly going to want to go to the Word of God and start talking about something she's seen there, talking about him. I remember when we were kids, we used to, Oh, it just drove me, well, I can't speak for Sharon and Stephen, but it drove me nuts. Because we've been, I, I, I waited all day for supper. 
And it was, it was what drove me to get up in the morning and go to school. Supper's coming. Mama was a good cook. And she was, she was mean sometimes because she'd get it on the stove and oh, the house would just be filled with such a precious aroma. My faith was at an epic all-time high. <laughs> Happy feet were with me. And I didn't even need shout music. I, I was so ready. And I got real anointed when I'd hear dishes clinging. Not so happy to go help with setting the table and such. Because I was focused. Now, other people in the house may have been distracted, Brother Bright, but I was focused. And I could get that junk on the table. But it was always a little bit of a bubble buster when I'd walk in and see all that stuff arrayed on the stove. And all the burners turned off. And the phone cords. Y'all remember when them phone cords were like two counties long? We had a yellow phone in our kitchen. I don't know why. And Mama would get on that yellow phone because somebody, one of the saints of God had called her. And now my Mama answered the phone in a special way when we were in high school. And I think she did it. Now, she would say, I know what you'd say, Mama. But I think she did it to torment us a little bit, too. Uh, we were so focused on being cool and such. And... <clears throat> I had hair, and I was able to come off as a little bit cool. But mother answered the phone when you called our house. Mom answered the phone. Praise the Lord. Why? Why? You run away. I want to live somewhere where they don't say that when they answer the phone. My friends would ask me at school, hey, why does your mom say praise the Lord? I have no idea. I, if you know, tell me. I, I'm open. But my mother had a love for him that superseded everything else. And even right on today, if I call her tomorrow on the way home, she will humor me for a few minutes. But it's not going to be long before we're in this book and we're talking about Jesus one way or another. <clears throat> and of all my mother taught me, she did teach me to love God. By loving him in front of me. <clears throat> Who do you say that I am? But as much as my mother loved God and as much as she did in front of us toward him, there came a point my mother's revelation was not good enough. There came a you can't shout over somebody else's revelation forever. You, you can get caught up on a good a red hot Sunday night, literally pun intended like tonight. And you can just go to hucking and bucking and shouting and just flailing about because somebody else got a revelation and the emotion of that moment got a hold of you and you can just go. But I'm going to tell you something. When, when the lights are off here at about 1145 tonight and the enemy's at the back door trying to get a hold of your attention and, and get your mind distracted, my revelation is not going to help you and your revelation isn't going to help me. Somewhere along the way, I'm going to have to get a revelation of who he really, really is. Not who he is to you, but who he is to me. You ask some of these elders sitting in this room that have been in the kingdom for more than 15 minutes how they've managed to survive. And I'm talking about people 40 and up even. Ask them, how have you stayed in the kingdom for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years? Because they found out somewhere along the way 
who he really is to them. And when you find out who he is, you find out who you are to him. It's a game changer. When, when you, the, there's no turning back when you figure that stuff out. You don't have to worry about being a backslider when you, fig, when you figure that out. Luke chapter 9, verse number 23, and he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever, boy, that's a powerful statement. <laughs> you know what one of the dumbest statements that ever came into the back door of an apostolic church is? Count the cost. Well, Brother Shelton, that, that, no, no. We, we have taken that statement and put it to spiritual things. And we have taken that statement and balanced faith with it. You can't walk, we can't walk by faith and count the cost at the same time. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Four o'clock the other morning, I'm up walking around in my house claiming promises I had nothing to do with. I, I wasn't there when he made those promises. He made those promises to us. Those were already established in him before the foundations of the world were laid. But it's my job to remind him, myself, and the enemy. I know who he is. He's not a man that he can lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. He made those promises to me before I ever knew he existed. Before I was in the womb, he made those promises to me. I'm not going to live my life timid and afraid of some junk. He's either God or he's not. And he did say something about try me. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake. <laughs> Reckless faith. The same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged? If he gain the whole world, lose himself. Or be cast away. For whosoever shall be ashamed, oh, now this one. Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words. Of him shall, everybody say shall. Be the son of man be ashamed. You're ashamed of him, he's ashamed of you. I know sometimes we have people come into our churches and boy, we just get a little out of control and we get a little caught up in our worship and we forget about other people and we just, it's all about him. And I know sometimes there's always going to be that one or two in just about every church that's like, oh my God, please don't, could he please not run those aisles tonight? I've been trying for six years to get my neighbor to come to church with me, and you're going to go eight nuts on the one night that I get my neighbor in here. They are a timid person, and you're just going to lose your mind. Oh. Well, I'm going to tell you something. In that moment that we're ashamed of him, he's embarrassed to the core of us. And by the way, when the elder runs the aisles again, some of you young people, don't ever let him run by himself again. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed. And when he shall come in his own glory and in his father's and in the holy angels, 
Now Luke chapter 9, verse 57. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee. Oh, I'll follow thee whithersoever thou goest. That's the way the conversation started. Oh, God. One of them commitment services. I'm going to follow you, God. Whithersoever thou goest, God, lead me and I'll follow. We even wrote a song about it. Where he leads me, I will follow. Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes. I wonder how does that just suit you, little fancy? Here that brother is just snotting and flailing about. Oh, God, I'm going to follow you. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. Son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another, follow me. <laughs> but he said, everybody say but. Your butt will get you in trouble with the Lord. There's some people going to go to hell on their butt. I'd serve him, but get your mind out of the gutter. Come on now, I'm talking about. I'd, I'd run these aisles, but you know, Brother Shelton, I saw a sister right over there this evening just broke loose. Humanity, a sea of humanity all in front of her. And she's just hopping right along, just moving them out of the way, and around she went. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury the dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. Uh, what, what did he say? What? What did he say? I'll follow thee what? But let me first go bid them farewell. I'm a sentimental fella. And I, I got to go hug on everybody and tell them how much I'm going to miss them. Which are at home at my house. Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. All he said was, Lord, I'll follow thee. However, let me go do some stuff first. And in that moment, the Lord's response to him was, you put your hand to the plow when you said, I'll follow you. And now you want to go tell everybody goodbye? That's looking back, and you ain't fit for the kingdom. I have not done all this kingdom business perfectly. And I'll be the first to tell you right up front, I have not. And I've had good days and I've had bad days and I've had very few in between. It seems like I'm one extreme or the other. Uh, but some days are so-so. And I am, I am striving every day to do the will of God better. 
and I'm striving every day by doing it better, I mean dying out to me. I, I want to be dead enough to myself that whenever he calls on me and whatever he calls on me to do, I'm willing, ready, and able to do it. <clears throat> and so I want to preface everything that's about to come out of my mouth with that. Well, what's about to come out of your mouth? I have no idea. But I need you to know up front, I'm not preaching to you or talking to you from a vantage point of perfection. I'm, I'm talking to you from the perspective of a work in progress. There are a lot of things I have not figured out how to do right. There are a lot of things that I have not figured out the best way to do yet. Uh, I am, I am uh, believe it or not, I am introverted to a degree. I, I don't like talking to people on elevators that I don't know. Oh, but you're supposed to be a light set on a hill. When was the last time you saw a candle talk to anybody? I got... 25 flashlights, ain't not one of them said a word to me. So don't be talking to me about nothing. And I get on elevators with people and I go to looking at my old shoes and reading a little panel over there that I've read a hundred thousand times, Otis Elevators. Praying to God that they're going to get off on a floor before mine, or I'm going to get off, and hopefully to God we're not all going up to the same floor. And then they got old chatty Kathy with them, and somebody wants to just start chit-chatting like they've been eating chat grass all morning. What in the world? Can you not just be quiet for a minute? Why do we need to visit? Just, I love you. Right over there, stay in your corner. I'm going to stay over here in my corner. Let's just get off on our respective floors, and let's just be done with it. I get on airplanes, and... I put my little earphone things in, my little AirPod Dumaflaches and, and my little Raycons. I put them in sometime and my little music, I'll turn it on. And there's sometimes I'll just fake them out. I'm not listening to anything, but I just, I got my equipment in and pray to God nobody's going to get on there. And it's amazing how many people can't see good. I mean, they can see everything about you except your ear. And they're that close to it. And they're right up in, they're right here. And they can't see that you, you've got a plug in, and then they want to start talking. And I, I, I don't even know what I'm doing in the ministry. I, I, don't, I don't know what God thought was going to happen, but here I am. And if I'd have had my way about it, this would not have been my job that I would have chosen. And I, I don't think I'm a great witness. I try to let my life be a decent witness, but I'm pretty sure that verbally I disappoint him all the time. And, and then, you know how you sometimes you say things and you're thinking the whole time your mouth is running and sound is coming out, what in the name of God am I even saying? I don't even know what I'm talking about. These, I don't know them, and, and they're wanting to talk, and I, I don't have anything to say to them. We have nothing in common, and I get off of airplanes, and I get off of elevators, and I, I walk through airports and various places, and, and I feel like such a horrible, horrible witness. And then there are days that I wake up and I think, you know what, today's the day I'm going to break the old mold and I'm, I'm about to go round me up some people to talk to and then I don't and then I feel like, my God, I have failed the entire kingdom today. What a slouch I must be considered by all of heaven. And then, okay, now tomorrow's a new day and I'm going to double down on my commitment and I'm, I'm going to get up in the morning at 6 
a.m. and I'm going to begin praying while the coffee's perking and then something happens and that don't happen and something else happens and oh my God in heaven and then I'm sitting on platforms and I know all of you brethren are sanctified even while you were yet in the womb. You were sanctified and highly anointed. I get it and I'm striving to get to where you are. But I sit on platforms, Sister Jackson, sometime and I hear preachers and the worship leader. And I'm convinced sometimes it's just a lot of hyperbole. They're just trying to build faith. Or at least that's what I tell myself. Because they'll be talking about, oh, I feel the power of God in here. And my God, anything can happen. And I'm sitting over there thinking, I'm going straight to hell. Because I don't feel none of that. Is there a witness up there in the music department? Anybody? Y'all be just a playing. That brother cut loose on that organ tonight. And I'm thinking, what would that be like? First of all, I'm not built for that. But <laughs> something would get towed up. We'd need a miracle if I started all that. I'll tell you right now. <clears throat> and I, I do. I look around at even worship. And I watch people worship. And, and I watch people who are able to just begin to weep and travail almost instantaneously. I don't have that ability either. And I, I've watched, I've, I've sat and listened to the bishop and, and, and Brother Brian Nichols in here praying at night and it is like two lions just Rawr! And I'm thinking, I am heaven's dust mop. They are like neck deep in anointing and I feel like I'm in a desert somewhere in a dust storm. And I, I, there, believe it or not, I, I have spent and still do spend a lot of time surveying me and looking at me and trying to figure out some stuff and is there something wrong with me? Is there sin in my life? Have I made a mistake? Why, why can't I get tapped in that fast? And my God, these intercessors, Lord have mercy. You intercessors, you, you are one of the things that I envy so much in the kingdom. The ability to go straight into intercession and move heaven and earth and, and, and travailing prayer. You're birthing something in the Holy Ghost. And here I am, and I listen to all these people praying, and it's like, it's, it's like God has just anointed their mouth with just some extra special language in my prayer life. Brother Jackson sounds horrible. Because I don't know how to pray like that. And when I pray, it's just this right here, what I'm doing now. I tell the Lord stuff that probably you would think, well, you'd tell your best friend that, but not God. Well, he is my best friend. And so my prayer life is not, you know, and God, I thank you for being so good to me. And, and it's not, oh, God, you have been so wonderful to me and mine Hitherto and forthwith we will serve thee all the days of our life. It's not any of that. It's just, oh, northwest Arkansas, just country as corn shucks, just me, raw me talking to raw Jesus, just believing that somehow or another my meager attempt to communicate with him is enough that he can understand what I'm trying to tell him. And even though it's not pretty, and even though it's not eloquent, and even though it's not all of these wonderful things, somehow, some way, 
There's something in me that believes it's enough. That there's something going on between me and him that even though it's not something you would put on video, at least it's something that's got heaven's attention. Somehow or another, I just have to believe. I'm desperate enough to be saved that I'm just going to believe that even though I haven't perfected all of this stuff, Somehow, what I am doing is appealing to him. The scripture says that the race is not to him that runs the swiftest. We've got a lot of people that come into the kingdom and immediately they want to be the fastest runner in the joint. And I want to tell them, hey, you better pump the brakes over there, buddy. That ain't going to last forever. Somewhere along the way, you're going to have to stop running and find an altar. This is not, not long ago the Lord spoke to me. I was going to your church, Brother Shocks, the other night. And <clears throat> he texted me on Monday evening. He said, do you feel anything? I, or Monday sometime? I said, yeah, I think I do. And the Lord spoke to me almost as soon as I answered that text from him. He said, tell the people that I'm not into sprints. I'm in this. I'm, I'm a long-distance runner. I'm playing the long game here. We, we get frustrated because this hadn't happened. I'm talking about me. This hadn't happened and that hadn't. I, I was, I've had great faith. Brother uh, what is it, Nichols, I've, I've had great faith for a long time. I've, I've been believing for my own private jet airplane for years now. And it hadn't come yet. And, and I don't know where it's at. And mile after mile that I drive in the last three years, I know for a fact I have driven over 100,000 miles in the last three years in one of my vehicles doing the will of the kingdom. And, and I keep believing that somewhere along the way, he's going to just send some billionaire along that wants to supply me with an airplane and a pilot. And I'm just going to be happy and blessed. But it hadn't happened yet. And the chances of it happening between here and eternity are... Whatever he says they are, I have no idea. And, and there's times I want it to happen now. I want God to do it now. I want this to be the service tonight. I, I want this service tonight to be the one that turns everything around. This service here tonight is going to be where, and we come to church, and we've got our minds made up. I've got my foot on the rock and my mind made up, and this is going to be the night that everything turns around, and I'm leaving here, and my life's going to be different, and my finances are going to be different, and my marriage is going to be different, and my ministry's going to erupt into absolute mayhem, and God's going to use me everywhere and in every. And then all of a sudden you come to church and, and you may or you may not feel something and then all of a sudden you, church is over and we leave and we're disappointed and we feel like we failed and what in the wide world? I really thought tonight was going to be the night and somebody's preaching about just hold on and then that one topic that nobody ever wants to be told is it's not time yet, God's timing and it's just that, I'll tell you the most hated word in the apostolic church in my opinion is time. We're sprint runners. We want it to happen now. I got up on Sunday morning. I made my way to the house of God. I'm ready for it to happen right now. And we sing songs to boost our uh, confidence that he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. And he is. He's on time, but it's rarely our time. 
And I've watched over the years at people that were better at preaching than I am, which is pretty much everybody. And I've watched guys that could, boy, they can write out 75 pages of notes and they can preach them all. And, and then other people who have these great study habits and they may have a hundred folders open at one time on a computer and they're doing a topical study over here and a word study over there. I don't even know really to be totally honest, Brother Shock, what either one of those are. I'm, I'm the most uneducated person in this room. I was glad to get out of high school, and high school was glad to get me out. Sorry, Mama. <clears throat> if I didn't have an F on my report card, we should celebrate. Really? Yes, ask Mama. I had a few. But I've looked around and, well, there's a lot of flashes in the pan. I've got friends that started out about the same time I did in the church. And then I watched them in their mid and late teens say, I'm called to the ministry. And in my mid-teens, in my late teens, I was begging God to leave me alone. I didn't want to be in the ministry. I had a plan in mind. I had an agenda. I knew what I wanted to do. I had a financial plan in mind. I didn't want to do what I'm doing now. And I looked around and I saw all of these guys that I knew and they were, man, they could sing like angels and they could play any instrument they wanted. I just despised people like that. And they, man, they could, if they touched it, they could play it. And I'm looking at all of that and I'm thinking, I, I have nothing to even offer him. I can't sing like that. I can't play all those instruments. I can't preach like they can. I don't even know how to study scripture. That's not a past statement, past tense. That's current right now. I don't even know how to study. I, I don't know how these guys put all this stuff together and go get this scripture and go get that one and tie it all. I don't know how you do it. I, I honestly don't. I don't. I wish I did. And I look at all of the things about me and my little ministry efforts that seem to be so inferior to everything and everybody around me. But then over the years I've noticed that, and the statement's been in my mind, it's, it's not a godly song. It's, it's, you know, everything that glitters is not gold. There's been a lot of glitter in the church for a long time. We, we, some of the most notable people of Scripture had problems. Moses had a speech impediment. And his speech impediment was so bad and atrocious that his brother Aaron, who could understand him, had to repeat in plain English or plain whatever language they were talking in what he was gibbering over here and couldn't even get out straight. And yet God used this reject of sorts that we would probably look at and say, oh, you poor thing. God used him to lead the greatest exodus of his people out of captivity that the world had ever seen. There's something there. I, I, I've wondered for a long time. I, I thought about that. What was it? You know, Moses became a great leader, but all throughout his, his season of leading God's people, he demonstrated over and over and over that he had problems. And there were probably people, no doubt, in the camp that could have done that job a lot better. 
that were more administrative-minded people. I, to, I, I, I listened to guys talk about finances and, and, and uh, administration and organization. And Brother Shock is so kind, bless his heart. He, he just he indulges me so much. And I know, I know you know that I don't know what you know. I know you know that. But you act like you think I know what you know, and you know I don't know what you know. And I've sat in his office at his church, and he gets all of his organization stuff out. And, man, he's got these calendar things that you can erase off of it and write on it again and take pictures of it with your phone, and it goes in your devices, and it shares it from this device to that device. And I just, I just want somebody to put the Wi-Fi password in my phone for me. <laughs> and, and I... He, they're able to keep up with stuff they're doing. And I, I, I get around Brother Nichols the other day and last weekend and he's reading stuff off of his phone out of that Olive Tree Bible app. And I've, I've owned it for quite some time now and don't know, come here from Sikkim about it. And he's reading all this stuff and we're sitting at the hotel the other night and he's got his phone out and he's just scrolling through just a wealth of information and resources are right at his fingertips and come to find out I felt kind of left out because I didn't know I had that and then then he said well do you not have the olive tree app on your phone well matter of fact I do well then you've got access to all this well then boy how dumb do I look and so he so graciously helped me purchase a few things to enhance that app and uh last night he spent some more of my money back there but I look around at all of the inadequacies about me. And over the lifetime that I've lived in the kingdom, I've looked around and I've seen a lot of people come. And I've seen a lot of them go. And I've seen a lot of people come and stay in the kingdom and not do anything in the kingdom. Never lift a finger, never get involved, never go into a level of commitment deeper than what they were at when they first received the Holy Ghost. And I've read this chapter in its entirety numerous times. I know you probably have too. And I look at all of that stuff he's talking about in there. And who do men say that I am? And, and, and they, you know what? We've, we've been willing to have church based on what other people said about him. We've, we have allowed young people to grow up in our churches. And we've put them in leadership. And they've never read the first entire book of the Bible. Not one. They, they've not read the shortest book of the Bible. We, we give them license to preach. I'm going to put my little plow in the dirt a minute. They, we give them a license to preach and we call them a man of God or a woman of God. And they've never won anybody to God. They've never taught a Bible study. They have never been a disciple. I don't, I don't care if they were a church member. We cannot do the will of God with just church members. Somewhere along the way, we have got to become. It's not their job to make me a disciple. It's not their job to preach me into an altar. It's not their job to preach me to a level of commitment. It is my job to look at me and be honest about what I'm not. And to be honest and, and, and okay with who you are, sometimes you got to be okay with who you're not. And what you're not. And it's time for us to quit living in a fantasy world in the church. And saying oh someday my ship's going to come in one day. I'm going to get to preach one day my ministry. Why? You are sitting there pining the time away. You could have been winning people to God. And teaching Bible studies. And baptizing people Monday through Monday. Week after week. Waiting on that one church service to 
serve as the catalyst that's going to launch my ministry and is going to launch our family into our destiny. I'm telling you, that church service is never going to come because it's probably already passed you by. You've got to get off of the fence and off of the sideline and quit waiting on everything to line up and all the planets to line up and everybody to know my name and everybody to love my ministry. And somewhere along the way, I've got to be willing to feed the homeless and mop the floors and clean the toilet and be involved in the kingdom wherever God wants me involved. Sometime back, years ago, Jesse Ventura, I guess he was a governor at that point in time, he made a statement that has just wore me out. I try not to think about it, but it came to me earlier tonight. gets my pressure up. It's one of those statements that if I was thinking about it while they were checking my blood pressure, they'd probably rush me to the ER. My brother's about to have a stroke. But he makes this statement about us, Christianity, Christendom. He said Christianity is for the weak-minded. It's for people who are weak and don't have any ability to stand on their own two feet. Well, it made me mad because I know he's saying it derogatorily. I understand that. But then I thought to myself, you know what, Jesse? You're 100% correct, buddy. Paul said, in my weakness, the greatest apostle we've ever known anything about said, in my weakness, he's made strong. <laughs> this thing is not about us coming to the church and demonstrating all of our gifts and talents. Church has never been intended by God to be a pageant. Thank God for all the talent on our platforms and our instruments and our pulpits. Thank God for it. But if that's all we're trying to do is get in front of people and entertain you and put on a show for you and do something that's going to get you to come by and brag on us, then there's something wrong with why we're in the kingdom. And I'm going to tell you about somebody that has to be bragged on 24 hours a day. If you just go about seven days and not pat them on the back, they'll backslide on Monday. And then the enemy will get you going out there begging them to come back. That's one of the worst things we've ever done. The scripture said if they leave offended, let them be out there offended. And when they find out that they need to repent, they go to the person or whatever and make it right between them and God. I don't have time to coddle you and beg somebody. I'll go with you. I'll go to the altar with you. I'll put my arm in yours and we'll go to battle together. But I'm not going back. Somehow or another, we've sang songs about standing in the need of prayer, which we all are. But we have found out that we have certain legal addictions in the church. There are some things that we found out we can be addicted to. We can be addicted to getting fixed all the time. We got some people that are spirit-filled but can't be apostolic because they can't grow up enough to be fixed once and for all. Not perfect, not everything right, not everything just I dotted here and T crossed there, but washed in the blood of the Lamb. My sins have been forgiven. I'm an imperfect vessel, and I'm at peace with that. I'm going to do everything I can to please God, but I'm not going to make pastor beg me and plead with me and watch over me 24 hours a day. I heard a man giving advice to his son who was about to get married. 
And the woman he was about to marry was a little bit contentious. And she had already broke up with the brother like, I don't know, one or two or 20 times. And then she'd break up with him. But then she'd throw him a carrot or something, you know, and she'd just start fishing for him. And you'd look up, and this brother that she just walked all over be on his hands and knees crawling back to her. Well, that's love. No, that's stupid. If you don't know the difference between abuse and love, this little spot right here is for you. We're going to heal whatever's broken in you so you can know. You people in relationships, I'm going to tell you something right now. This fit throwing we like to do. Where's your wife tonight? Ah, she's, she's, she wasn't feeling good. You lying thing. Y'all had a fight before church. She stayed home because she's mad and you don't want to have to tell nobody. She's been mad six months. told that boy, he said, I'm going to tell you something right now. The worst thing you can do if she ever threatens to leave you after you have married her and you start begging her not to leave, you've just lost your place of leadership in your home. And every time she gets her feelings hurt, every time she gets mad at you, every time you make a decision she don't like, She's going to threaten to leave. Why'd y'all get quiet so fast? She's going to threaten to leave. She's going to go get a suitcase and start packing. And the boy said to his dad, he said, well, what do I do? He said, help her pack. <laughs> and let her know right up front, you pull that with me. There won't be no taking it back. Oh, baby, I'm sorry. No, no. You pull that with me, I'll be packing your junk in the other suitcase, and, and I'll make sure you just make sure you get everything you want because you ain't coming back for seconds. But in the church, I said it last week, we, we come into the kingdom and we get into a relationship with God, and then we try to eventually, and over a period of time, bring all of that stuff from the past into this kingdom here. We want to bring all of the mess we were doing. Look, you, can't be, you cannot be addicted to drama in your family and do the will of God at the same time. Somewhere along the way, you got to say, no, no, we're going to have peace in this house one way or the other. If we all got to fast till we get prayed through, that's what we're going to do. But there are some people that come into church and they get filled with the Holy Ghost. And I know it's not here, but then they can't no more get out that back door and in the car, in the parking lot. And they are fighting like cats and dogs. Just ran the aisles together. But get out there and get to fighting and squabbling and cussing one another in the parking lot. That's looking back. That's the way we acted out there. That's the way we acted before God got a hold of us. We acted like that. You, you can't, my wife calls them hood rats. You can't act like a hood rat and be in the kingdom and do the will of God at the same time. Somewhere along the way, Bishop, we got to dig a little deeper than just some shallow deal. Superficial don't last always. Superficial only goes so far. Pressure's going to come, and you can put just a light coat of paint on something, but at the end of the day, when the pressure comes, it's going to wash all that facade away. 
We're going to have to deal with what we got left. We have crippled the church. We love our drama. We're addicted to it. Am I okay? Is this all right? I'd rather just sing Kumbaya and talk about your 20-year anniversary. Well, we got people that can't be faithful to church because they're fighting all the time. We got men that can't come to church and worship because they just cuss their mama out on the phone. We got men that can't come to church and worship because they just cuss their wife out. They just screamed and yelled at their kids. And then we're going to get to church and lead the praise and worship in church. We're going to get to church and take our family to the altar and act like we are Patty Pentecost. Here comes little Andy Apostolic down the aisle with his beautiful family. No, they're not. They're a hot mess. They were cussing coming out of the parking lot. But it's okay because we come in here and put on this pitiful facade. And we want all of you, we'll be the first ones down here for prayer. Week after week after week after week. Because we don't want to grow up and find an altar and stay there until we have been transformed by the renewing of our mind. You've already been filled with the Holy Ghost. Now you need to let God change the way you think, change the way you speak, change the way you react, change the way you respond to stuff. It's time for us to realize we put our hand to the plow in that altar on day one and we told him, I'll follow you. I don't have the right to keep going back and acting the way I used to act. Paul said, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I behaved like a child. And a woman in this room wants a man that acts like a baby. Can I get a witness, ladies? Act like grown people. Some man be crawled up sucking his thumb. Get that boy a baby pacifier and a little, one of them little things to put around his chin. He'll be drooling here in a minute. We, we've, we've become addicted to being victims about everything. Everything hurts my feelings. Get over it. Well, that's not very Christian. Well, yes, it is. Jesus, I'll follow you. Well, come on. Get a hitch in your giddy up. Yeah, but somebody died at my house. I got to go bury. Let the dead bury the dead. But we can't preach like that in the church because somebody get it. Well, guys like me can do it, but y'all can't do it. Because if y'all preach ugly, they might leave. You know how quiet it is right there? That's because it's true. Hurt my feelings, I'll take my ties. Some, you won't have no ties when you get somewhere else. You leave in the wrong attitude. You be so broke, you can't even pay attention before you can get down the highway. Come up in here, think you're going to use your money and hamstring the kingdom. You've lost your mind. God will raise a homeless person up and make them a billionaire and take your nasty place. We put our hand to the plow, and that ought to mean something. We gave him our word. We told him, I'll follow you. When it's good, I'll follow you. When it's bad, I'll follow you. When I feel like it, I'll follow you. When I don't feel like it, I'll follow you. And there's not one excuse in the world we can give to justify looking back. He didn't even say, if you put your hand to the plow and take your hand off. 
He acknowledged they didn't backslide. They keep coming to church. But they're wishing they were somewhere else. I'm sitting by you. But I wish it was her. Ask any woman in the joint if they can tell it if their husband's ever acted that way. Right up in church, too. Sitting right up beside her, looking across that aisle. Sitting in a restaurant on your anniversary. Checking that one over there out. And then can't figure out why she's mad before you can get home. something extra. <laughs> and then going to leave and want a little kissy kissy. She will slap them puckered lips right off your face. Put them over here again. I will knock them around to the back of your head. What I do, baby? Throw a little Barry White on him. What I do, baby? <laughs> but acting like you don't know who Barry is. Mm -hmm, I saw what you were doing, baby. I said the same. Baby, I said at the same table you did. <laughs> she saw you, and we can't figure out why God turns a little bit of a cold shoulder to us. Oh, I'm only good enough. Hold your wife's hand when there ain't nobody around. And turn it loose when your friends walk in. I don't know if y'all hold hands before marriage around here or not. You know, I mean, everybody got their own deal. But if y'all hold hands before getting married, ladies, if you're pretty enough for him to hold your little hand when there ain't nobody around, but then as soon as the boys walk around and he kind of steps a little bit to the left, put that nasty thing on the curb with the trash in the morning. Put him out. He ain't the one. PDA is always in order. Hallelujah. Let's just pause a moment. How do you think God feels? You get in the car and acted like you didn't know who she was sitting at the table all through dinner and, and then get in the car and want to hold her hand and she's like, boy. You know it's bad when she calls you boy. <laughs> That's not good. No, no, no. Hmm. And then he wants to get all offended. Don't know why she won't have anything to do with him. Oh, so I'm good enough to hold my hand in this car, but you wouldn't let me hold your hand in that restaurant? Do you think God feels any differently about us? 
Oh, so you'll shout and worship me at church, but you won't act like an apostolic on the street? You'll pray in your little cubicle or you'll pray at your job when ain't nobody around, but you stop, you stop talking in tongues when your co-workers walk up? When you make a commitment to some significant other person in your life, that commitment transcends every other attraction in the world. But the problem with us is we don't believe that. We believe it's okay to be more attracted to something than we are committed to something else. We think we can be committed to you but be attracted to everybody else, and you ought to understand my attractions. I'm going to tell you something right now. Jesus don't understand it. When I told him that I would serve him, Brother Bright, when I told him that I wanted him to be my everything, when I told him more than once, more than twice, more than a hundred times I've told him, I want you and you alone. Do you think he understands or feels okay about it when he takes me at my word in an elevator and begins to speak to me and trying to get me to open my mouth and do what he wants me to do? It's not all right that I'm an introvert. It's not okay that I don't like talking to people. I can't do that anymore if I'm going to be his servant, if I'm going to be submitted to him and be obedient to him and serve his will in his kingdom, then I've got to act the way he wants me to act. I've got to speak the way he wants me to speak. I've got to do what he wants me to do. I don't have a right to be in the church and wish I was somewhere else. I don't have a right to pray in the morning. God used me today. And then when he tries to act like I don't hear him. He's into the long game. The results are not our concern. They're not supposed to be. What happens as a result of my efforts is not what keeps me up at night. What keeps me awake at night is, did I obey him today? Did I do to the very best of my ability what he wanted me to do today? If I can say yes to that, then I can lay my head on that pillow and go sound asleep without any guilt, shame, or condemnation. It's not a problem. The results are not my problem. If you like me at the end of the night, thank God, that's wonderful, that's beautiful, and, and I'm going to rejoice in it. But if your life is not changed and, and, and it's because I didn't do what he wanted me to do, that's my fault. That's my problem, and I'm going to answer to God for that. This can't be about trying to win friends and influence people in the kingdom. When we put our hand to the plow, we said yes to him and no to everybody else. The only thing God wants from us is everything. That's it. He wants us to be all in to what he's doing. Not half-heartedly here. Not, I'm here waiting on something better to come along. That's like, again, I'm here I am on relationships, but have you ever seen somebody that dated another person just because that was what was available, but I'm really waiting on somebody else? We've been dating 400 years. Are we going to get married? Well, I'll tell you what the Lord's doing right now. Brother Nichols and I were talking about this a little bit last night. Brother Shock, God 
you know, it seems to me like, and I've had a lot of preachers that I've talked to lately that have said the same thing about themselves, their churches, but it feels like we're just kind of some, the doldrums, just, we have some stuff occasionally, there's, there's powerful church services like tonight's, but when this is over, y'all know, is anybody with me, when, when we get out of here, am I the only one? We get out of here and, you know that passion that we all used to just wake up with? Just woke up in stammering lips? And we, we lived with this God-given expectation that the miraculous was around every corner. It's just, y'all know what I'm talking about? But for me, lately, it feels like the wind has stopped blowing. That passion that has subsided. You know, the first week of a marriage generally is the honeymoon, but that don't last forever. And when you get home and the bad breath kicks in, and it was not a drive-by, it was just a little balloon popped out there in the foyer. And the saints of God trying to figure out if they need to dive to the floor. I was talking to this couple one time, and this is going to gross some of y'all out. Are y'all okay? Am I boring you to tears yet? We're okay. We're all good. Okay. They were having a few marriage problems, but they ain't been married that long. I wonder what in the wide world has already happened. She said, well, it started on our honeymoon. Well, this ought to be good. I said, okay, well, what happened? She said, we'd been out. They were on a cruise. They'd been on shore somewhere in the tropics, you know, and they were all humidified. They got back to the ship, and they had a little bit of time to get dressed and go to dinner and then Going to go back to the room. They've been married for like three days. And she steps out of the restroom from getting her shower. And Junior is laying across the bed, a hot, sweaty mess from being out there on the beach somewhere. And as she stepped out and looks at him, laid out there like Fabio. <laughs> with his sweat-stained socks all over the bed. He had that finger two knuckles deep in his nose. COVID test wasn't no problem for that brother. He had it up. <laughs> Stay with me, Dad. He had it up in. I'm talking about when he pulled it out, it's like. <laughs> he pulled out a half pound booger and wiped it under her pillow on the. Yes, he did. I'm talking about all green and yellow and junk. Had a hair in it. Don't act like you ain't never seen one. Pray to God it wasn't somebody else's. <laughs> he pulled it out. He didn't know she was watching. Stuck it under. What would you have done if Matthew had done that? <laughs> yeah. He wiped it on the sheet under her pillow. She come unhinged six ways from Sunday. I believe right now you need to play something melodious. 
She got to investigating. Her gifts kicked in. She got to investigating. There were several of them scattered about the room. He'd been dropping them off all week. The reality of relationship is she did not marry Fabio. She married a booger-picking maniac. It's too late. The deal's sealed now, baby. You, you are stuck with Junior. The euphoria that we feel on night one in the altar is available all the time. One night, that's the negative side of relationship. One night, about 3 o'clock in the morning, I was awakened out of sleep. I think I drank too much coffee. And so when I got back to the bedroom with another cup of coffee, I just felt like I needed one. I sat down on the edge of the bed and the moonlight cascading across precious. I started crying. Bishop, I did. And of course, now my wife is a, she's a wonderful creature, but when she wakes up, you might want to be a little bit away. She is like a ninja. <laughs> and she wakes up. And I mean, she's laying there asleep now. And you know how you, you sleep and your jaw gets relaxed? Look like a Venus flytrap just... She may or may not have been in that condition. But I'm just crying. And she wakes up and she sees me crying. She said, what's wrong? And I couldn't talk for a couple of seconds. Brother Clark can fight me. I told her, I said, you're, you're going to laugh at me, but I'll tell you. I think I just fell in love with you all over again. And that's really what happened. We hadn't had any problems. Nothing was wrong. But in that moment, I became aware of something that I had never really understood. That every day I have the option to fall in love with her all over again or to let stuff get between me and her and eventually began to wish for something else. I don't want to wish for something else. I got what God wanted me to have. And in this thing we call the kingdom, Mother, am I telling the truth? We have the option to fall in love with him over and over and over and over. Or not. If you do fall in love with him over and over and over, this is going to be the greatest thing you've ever been a part of. The gifts of the Spirit, signs, wonders, and miracles, all of these things are going to happen. And nothing. I know people, Brother Jackson, they live in fear of backsliding. They really do. And I'm going to tell you why I think that is. I think that's because, and I hear people say, well, you know, I just, I hope I don't, I hope I don't fail the Lord. You're going to fail the Lord. You, you all have sinned and come short of the glory of the Lord. That's what Scripture says. And the Holy Ghost didn't make you perfect. 
know some of us think it did. The Holy Ghost didn't make any of us perfect. But it gave me the ability to fall in love with him every day. To love him more tomorrow than I do today. I don't, I don't want to go back to any sin that I've ever committed. I don't. And while the Lord was good to me, and I, I have not been guilty of some things that some have, it's all sin. And I can't imagine my life without him in it. And I don't want to go anywhere else. I don't want to be anywhere else. I don't want to be involved in anything else. There are times that I get so weary with traveling. I'll be home one day this week and be gone again. Be home one day and then back in ministry again. I get tired. But I made my mind up a long, long, long time ago. That whether I did it good, I did it bad, or it was ugly. I was not leaving the kingdom. I'm not leaving. Yeah, but hell might pull. Hell can't pull you out of here. Hello. If you're in a committed relationship, ain't no trashy thing come along can pull you out of it. And not because you're afraid of her or him either, but because we're in love with her or him. I've had demonic spirits manifest themselves visibly to me in hotel rooms. <clears throat> Most notably was in Long Beach, California. Spirit showed up in my hotel and it was a low moment in my life. And uh, I was sitting on the foot of the bed looking out the window. And I heard and felt the presence in the room and I turned and there stood this man, this demonic spirit. And he said, if you will give me your gifts and your sensitivities, and your life, I'll give you wealth you'll never be able to even count. And I'll give you friends that won't hurt you, which was a straight-up lie. Doing everything it could to seduce me. And I'm going to tell you something. It was one of those moments, Brother Nichols. There was no talking in tongues, and there were no goosebumps. There was nobody running the aisles or playing a B3 hammer. It was me sitting on the foot of a hotel bed in Long Beach, California, being seduced or attempting to seduce me. I remember one day another low moment. Maybe I'm telling too much, but years and years ago, a low moment. Mama, it wasn't your fault. It was one of those low moments. And the enemy said to me as I was driving down the highway, just pull in there and get a beer. I turned in the parking lot of this liquor store. And the enemy said, you know what? Get a case of it and get you a bottle of whiskey. You don't have to put up with this. I ain't never even drank nothing. I don't even know why. I wouldn't know what to buy if I went in there. I didn't want it. That's where that old devil will do you. Can I get a witness? Am I the only one? I mean. Oh, I know. I know. God bless your sweet little perfect heart. 
He never tempted you with a drink of nothing, did he? He just gets you to get critical and want to quit. He wasn't telling me to quit the kingdom. He just said I deserve not to have to think about nothing. I pulled up in that parking lot. I don't even know why. I wasn't going in there. But all of a sudden in that moment, with people walking past my truck, I began to weep like a child. And I told him, I said, I just can't do it. I love Jesus too much to cheat on him with a can of beer and a bottle of whiskey. I'm not going to do it. I may not be perfect, but I am going to be faithful. I made a commitment to you a long time ago. I put my hand to this plow, and I'm not going to give it up. I'm not going to go back. And I'm going to do my best not to even look back. Now, we're standing in a unique time in the church's history. Because just ahead of us from here, miracles and signs and wonders are going to start happening on a daily basis. I believe that 20-year prophecy that was given, I believe that. And I do believe that this church is about to enter into a season unlike anything you've ever known. While we've been waiting, he's been sifting and seeing. Will they leave me for another? Will they remember their first love? For better or for worse? Will they stay true to me? No matter what's going on around them. Anybody felt a little disconnected from him, not the church, not one another, not greater faith, but just just felt like maybe there was a little bit of a disconnect? Am I the only one? I'll raise my hand. I'm going to tell you right now, I've, I've been there lately. Hold your hand up high. Matter of fact, just stand up. You feel that disconnect lately. It's not that you don't love him. It's not that you don't want to be in the kingdom. It's not. It's just that, that pulse that you've been accustomed to hadn't been there. Aren't all of you standing? Come to the front. God's going to bless you tonight. The truth of the matter is, you have not been disconnected. But it has been a, de a season of decision. Am I here for fishers and loaves? No. Am I here for him to do the miraculous for me? No. Am I here for a ministry opportunity? No. Then why am I here? And even some of us, maybe even some in this room have had other people ask lately, why, why don't you quit? Why do you keep, why? Seems like the more committed you get to your church, the harder your life gets. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You, you make commitments and going to do more and sow more and give more of yourself and your time, and it just seems like the more you want to commit, the harder it is to even meet the minimums. Anybody with me? So not you nothing wrong with you you're not you're not backsliding you're not falling away from him you've not got horrible gross sins in your life but we are in a time in a season of waiting whether we like it or not this is not time to look back it's not time to rethink this thing 
It's not time to look to the left nor to the right. It's not time to consider our options. Is this what I should be doing or should I be looking at thinking about something else? No. We are where we're supposed to be, doing what we're supposed to be doing for the one we're supposed to be doing it for. Reach over if you can. Make contact with somebody. Lord, we are all but mere cogs in the wheel. We are all just flesh. And we have all, standing here tonight, been wrestling, trying desperately to stay connected, trying desperately to stay in tune, trying desperately to stay tapped into what we're accustomed to feeling. But Lord, we're all standing here tonight in need of prayer. We're standing here tonight in need of a touch, a heavenly touch of anointing of peace. I'm not asking you to change my situation or theirs. I'm asking you to give us each and every one peace for what we're going through while we're going through it. I'm asking you tonight, let angels move into this room and give us peace. Peace in our minds, peace in our hopes, peace in our dreams, peace in our desires, peace in our homes, peace in our marriages. Peace in the ministry, peace in the kingdom, peace in the church. Give us peace. Lord, these are your people, and they're still here. For better or for worse, when they feel like shouting and when they don't, they're still here on tonight. They're here after 20 years, after 30 years, after 40 years, after 30 days. They're still here. They've made a commitment and they're not going to go back. They've made a commitment and they're not going to turn around. They've made a commitment and they're not going to back off of it. But tonight I'm asking you to bless them. Deep in their spirit, bless them. Deep in their emotions, bless them. Deep in their minds, bless them. Bless them with peace in all of these areas. Let the lying, wandering words of the enemy be bound now and silenced in their hearing. Let that second guessing of the adversary in that still, quiet place of their hearing and thoughts be bound now. Silence the enemy in their thinking. Silence the enemy in their emotions and in their ponderings and musings. Silence him now in Jesus' name and let that still, small voice of hope begin to reverberate through their mind and reverberate through their spirit and reverberate through their emotions we are still destined to do great and powerful and mighty things in the kingdom every lying word of the enemy that says you've committed to something that will pay off we bind that now and I command it to be silenced this is the greatest investment any of us have ever made is into your kingdom the greatest thing we've ever committed ourselves to is your kingdom. And no, we acknowledge readily on tonight that it's not always a honeymoon. But Lord, even when the honeymoon is over, we're going to be here. We're not leaving the relationship just because the laundry gets dirty. We're not leaving the relationship just because the grass needs to be cut. We're not leaving the relationship just because money gets tight. We made a commitment to you, not your things. We made a commitment to you, not your miracles. We made a commitment to you, not signs and wonders. Our commitment is to you. 
Our commitment is not to what you can do for us, but it's committed to who you are to us. That's it. Come on. Lord, if we live in a mansion or if we live in a shack, it don't make any difference. If we're driving a Mercedes or a hoopty, it don't make any difference to us. If we can preach with the greatest of eloquence or we stutter and stammer around, it don't make any difference. If we can sing on key or not, it doesn't make any difference. If we're talented musically or not, it makes no difference. You married us for us. You chose us for us. Not what we could do. Not for our talents. Not for our abilities. You went to a cross because you looked down through time and you loved me. I didn't fall in love with what you could do for me and you didn't fall in love with what I could do for you. Yeah, I fell in you, love with you because I'd never known love like you love the world. Lord, I'm not here for your stuff. I'm not here for your things. I'm not here for your money. I'm not here for houses. I'm not here for land. I'm here for you. I'm gonna be faithful to your kingdom because I love you. I'm gonna say no to every advance and tempting of the enemy because I love you. Not because I'm afraid of hell, but because I long for heaven. The enemy has nothing I want because they don't have you. You're what I want. And I can't find that anywhere else but in an altar of commitment. I can't find that anywhere else but here. Here in your presence. If you speak to me today or not, it don't matter. I still love you. If you do a miracle for me today or not, it don't matter. I love you. If you give me a new truck tomorrow or not, it doesn't matter. I love you. I'll drive what I'm driving until it falls apart. That won't change my opinion of you. I'll ride a bicycle to do what you've called me to do because I love you. I'll do it on a skateboard. I'll ride a horse. I'll walk to do what you've called me to do because I love you. I'm thankful for your blessings, but I don't need them. I don't need to be blessed to love you. I just love you. I know you could give me silver and gold, but if you never do, it won't change anything. I love you. And I know that you love me. I know you love me. I don't care what the enemy says. I know you love me. I don't care what my circumstances try to lie to me and say, I know you love me. I don't care what's going on around me. I know you love me. I don't care how quiet it seems like you've been. I know you love me. 
I know it because another man that you love said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging for bread. I know you'll be there. Not because you have to, but because you want to. You love us. You love us. Lord, I can't promise you we're never going to stagger. I can't promise you we're never going to stumble. I can't even promise you that we're never going to fall. What I can promise you is if you'll be patient with this frame, I will commit this frame to you day after day after day after day. And I will say what's been said before. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemies. For when I have fallen, he still loves me. And I am going to get back up. I'm going to get back up because you love me. And when I sit in darkness, and Lord, I know, I'm telling you right now, I'm confessing it. I know dark times are going to come again. But when they do, you're going to be my light. You know why I know you're going to do that? Because you love me. You love me. I'm not afraid of tomorrow. Not because of the miracles I've seen today. But I have peace about tomorrow, not because of what I've seen you do in the past. I have peace about tomorrow and I have no fear about tomorrow. Because your scripture says that perfect love casteth out all fear. And I know. I am convinced that no matter what others say about you, no matter what others think about you. Lord, if a hundred people tell me in the next 24 hours that they don't believe you love them, it's not going to change my opinion. If everybody in this room turned their back on you right now and walked out of here, it wouldn't change my opinion about you. Because you and I had that same conversation you had with your disciples. And you did ask me one day, who do you say that I am? You're my Savior. You're my Father. You're the lover of my soul. And Lord, even though I do know, in my mind, I know you died for every one of us. I know you did. But Lord, on a daily basis, my vision of Calvary Rarely has anybody there but me and you and those who crucified you. When I think about what you've done for me, it always just comes down to you and me. And I love you. I'm going to stumble. I'm going to fall. I'm going to have my problems. And Lord, you know there have been times that I've been mad at you.
because I didn't understand what you were doing or why. But when all that's over, Scott Shelton's still going to be standing right here in your kingdom. And I'm going to look you right in the face and say, I still do, and I always will. I love you. And you love me. And out of that union will come children born into the kingdom. Out of that union will come every demonstration of love that you would love your children with and your people, your bride. Would you lift your hands this evening one more time and thank the Lord for his steadfast, continued commitment to you and yours to him. Would you do that right now in Jesus' name?